Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message, I was in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, speaking about the subject of acceptance. In the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul refers to salvation, and he refers to the inheritance that we have received as a result of his death, as a result of the death of God who manifested in the flesh. He describes this as a will in the sense that a will is a description of an inheritance that is to be distributed or is to be given to one's children freely or to others as a result of the death of an individual, and that this is a way to understand the new covenant that has gone into effect, that God has described this as a will, and the will is the description of an inheritance that we have received as a result of his death, in this case, the death on the cross. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, he speaks of all the blessings that we have received. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, he goes on and he describes some of the ways that we can understand the blessings that we have received. We have received holiness, for example, in verse 4. In verse 5, he spoke about adoption. And in the previous message, I was speaking about verse 6, the idea of being accepted by him. And these are things that we are to discover, we are to learn about, and to understand how they can be applied in our own personal, individual lives. What does it mean to you to be holy now because of what he's done for you? How would that have an effect on your life in terms of the decisions that you would make in your life, knowing that you have already been set apart by God for himself? If you understand that he loves you, that he does not hold your sins against you, then how would that have an effect on your life? Knowing that you are a child of God, in effect adopted by him, this was a choice, this was a decision that he made, and also a decision that you made because you decided to embrace the covenant that he has made available. You have decided to surrender to it or submit yourself to it, in effect. You are believing the truth that he has revealed, and part of that results in you being born again. He's talking about salvation And part of being born again is being made into a new creation, a child of God. And in this context, he describes this as adoption. Once you were, in effect, a nobody, now you are a somebody, you are a child of God. How is that going to affect your life? How will this truth become a part of your life in terms of the decisions that you make as you interact with the world that you're a part of? 
in verse 6, I was speaking about acceptance, and I gave an example of how acceptance can be experienced in our lives because we have a need for acceptance. And there are a lot of things that we do in our lives. There are a lot of sins that we engage in just because we want to feel that we are accepted. So if we will rest in the acceptance that we have in Christ Jesus, we are accepted by our God. If we will rest in that, trust in that, abide in that, believe in that, how will that have an effect in our lives in terms of our pursuit of acceptance? And these are things that I was speaking about in the previous message. In this program, I'm going to move forward into verse 7, where he speaks about forgiveness. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, this is a big topic. And the reason why is because the Christian world has had a lot to say about forgiveness and redemption through his blood. In fact, the Christian world has had so much to say about it that in many cases they have completely rejected the forgiveness that we really do have. The Christian world, for the most part, has rejected redemption, has rejected forgiveness, by coming up with all kinds of new and creative ways to say that God still holds your sins against you and that they provide a means or a mechanism or a way through which you can obtain forgiveness. So if the Christian world, for the most part, suggests that they have ways for you to obtain forgiveness, then you do not have forgiveness. You don't have forgiveness. God holds your sins against you in some way, and so they will provide you with some kind of ceremonial, sacramental, or sacrificial system of some kind through which you can obtain forgiveness. The suggestion is is that your sins are being held against you, and they will assist you. They will provide you with a facility. They will provide you with a leader, with a minister of some kind who will facilitate or assist you with obtaining some forgiveness from God, which means, in effect, by default, you do not have forgiveness until you engage in some kind of ceremonial, sacramental, or sacrificial experience. Then, after you do that, then you will have forgiveness, at least until you sin again. And that, for the most part, is what Christian theology ends up being about. It ends up being about the way that people have been able to go through the scriptures and present doctrines or misinterpretations or whatever, to go through whatever theological gymnastics they need to go through in order to tell you that you are not really forgiven so that they can provide you with the services to obtain forgiveness. So this subject is a big subject because it has become a big subject through all the doctrines and teachings and beliefs that people hold on to for all kinds of different reasons that reject the fact that you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, of course, I have done a set of programs on the subject of forgiveness that you can find 
in the Living God Ministries radio archive, and so I'm not going to try to duplicate that series here. Here I'm just going to go through some basic issues, and I'm going to talk about this in the context of this verse, which has to do with salvation. But for a more involved presentation or study through the subject of forgiveness, I do talk about it in the series that I did produce on forgiveness. But here, I will speak about it in the context of salvation, because that really is what Ephesians chapter 1 is mainly about, what Paul is referring to. He still is staying within the topic of forgiveness. Now, in order to speak about some things that I want to mention from verse 7, it's necessary to be reminded of the gospel. What is the gospel? For the most part, the most popular belief concerning the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins so that we can go to heaven when we die. That salvation is about getting your sins forgiven. This is the most popular representation of the gospel. And I'm not willing to say that this is wrong. What I will say is that this is incomplete. And this is an important issue, especially for this verse, because if you have an incomplete understanding of the gospel, then you're not going to be able to appreciate what he says in this verse very well. Again, the most popular understanding of the gospel is that you have the need for forgiveness. When God forgives you, you are saved. That salvation is forgiveness. This is the most common, the most popular understanding of the gospel. So if you have forgiveness then you are saved. Now, the problem with this is, is that when Jesus died for the sins of the world, he died for the sins of the world. And so people try to figure out, all right, if he died for the sins of the world, which means everybody, if he died for everybody, then how do we figure out, well, we'll say that, well, you have been forgiven only if you will accept the forgiveness Or you have been forgiven if you repent from your sins. There are many additional qualifiers that people will add to this in order to say that if you are not saved, then you are not forgiven. And if you are saved, then you are forgiven. There are many different ways that people will try to navigate through this. And the reason why they try to navigate through this is because they take the position that forgiveness is salvation. Because you see, if everyone has been forgiven according to that definition of the gospel, well, then everybody's saved. And we know that's not true. That's definitely not the case. There are some people who would like to believe that, but in order to believe that, you generally have to go through a lot more gymnastics, theological gymnastics, in order to accomplish that belief in order to effectively reject a lot of what Jesus has said or distort it to such a magnitude where you're going to suggest that everyone is going to be saved, when people go in that direction, eventually, it usually doesn't start right away, but eventually a person builds a faith to the extent where from what I can tell, they do not know God at all. They do not know the God that I know at all. No relation whatsoever. And so I eventually separate from these kinds of people entirely. 
I have had some people in my life who have gone in this direction, and to me, they have gone way out of bounds. They go off the deep end never to return, and I eventually just have nothing to do with them. They have nothing to do with me because I can contribute nothing to their faith because they eventually believe in a God who simply does not exist. But this is the concern when it comes to the subject of forgiveness, though, is that, well, that would mean that everybody would be saved. And this is why I explain the gospel differently, because from what I can tell, the gospel is very different from this. The gospel that I present, that I understand, that I believe and trust in, is not just that Jesus died for my sins and so I can go to heaven. I do believe that this is true. I just believe that this is incomplete. I believe that forgiveness was given in order to make salvation possible. But that forgiveness in and of itself is not salvation. I believe that salvation is the restoration of the Holy Spirit. I do believe that and I understand that there are a lot of people, a lot of popular people who believe otherwise. And this is fine. You know, at least we are clear, at least we are honest, we are upfront, we are very open about what we believe and what we teach and why. But this is me. This is what I say. I say that salvation is the restoration of the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam, that makes us spiritually alive. It's being made spiritually alive that is salvation. Forgiveness makes salvation possible, but it in and of itself is not salvation. Salvation is when you are made spiritually alive through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. I've done programs on this subject. There's the program titled The Gospel. You can find that in the radio archive. I also speak about this in the first two programs in the series on forgiveness that I mentioned earlier where I talk about the details of us becoming spiritually dead in the Garden of Eden, that this happened back then with Adam and Eve when they sinned and they died. The death was a spiritual death such that the Holy Spirit of God that was breathed into them to make them spiritually alive was removed. God withdrew himself through their rejection of him. So, they no longer had the life of God within them, by definition. Death is the absence of life, in this case, the life of God, the Holy Spirit. And this is what was restored to humanity when Jesus died and rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, he sent the Holy Spirit to the disciples, and they were made spiritually alive. It was then that they were saved. Then we are saved. Then we are made into a child of God. Then we are made into a new creation. Forgiveness makes this possible because there's only one thing that would cause that spirit of God or the spirit of life to depart from within us, and that's sin. That's the law. The wages of sin is death. In the day that you sin, in that day, in that very moment, you will surely die. So if we are made spiritually alive through the receiving, through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, if we are made spiritually alive in that way, then the next time we sin, which probably won't take very long, the next time we sin, then the Holy Spirit would depart from within us. But the reason why he won't is because 
we have been forgiven because God does not hold our sins against us. So if the sin issue has been resolved, if we have the forgiveness of sins, well, then there's no sin that would cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within us. So we have life eternally. We have, by definition, eternal life because we have been made spiritually alive right now. This will continue throughout our lives today until we physically die and we will continue to be spiritually alive and have a place among the living in the heavenly places in the kingdom of God because of what Jesus has done for us. So this is the gospel that I present. I present the gospel of sin, death, forgiveness, and the restoration of life. This is why we need to have the forgiveness of sins once and for all so that we will never die spiritually once we have been made spiritually alive. So what distinguishes between the people in the world who reject the gospel and the people in the world who have accepted the gospel? What distinguishes between the two? Well, you have the people in the world who are forgiven because of what Jesus did for them long ago. They are forgiven, but they're a bunch of forgiven dead people. They are spiritually dead. They have not been made into a new creation, a child of God. Those who do embrace the Holy Spirit of God as a free gift that he has given to us because we want to have a relationship with our God, because we want to embrace the gospel, because we choose, because we decide that we want to be a different person and we want to know our God. Those are the people who God will make spiritually alive. Those who are genuine, who are true, who really want to have the relationship with him that he's willing to have with them, he will decide then to respond to our conviction, to our faith, to our belief, to our desire. He will respond and he will make you spiritually alive. That is his promise concerning the gospel. And he is the one who can discern who is legitimate And who's a fraud? You know, who's just pretending that they want to be saved and who genuinely wants to? He can discern between the two. So he's only going to save those people who genuinely meet the criteria that he sets up, who says, listen, this is what I expect. This is the kind of person that I want. Are you going to be one of these people? And when a person repents and says, yes, I want to be one of those people, I will be one of those people then God will respond and he will say, very well, then you will receive the free gift of eternal life. Then you will be a living person, not a dead person like everybody else. So this is the importance of complete forgiveness. If there is any sin left unforgiven, you do not have eternal life. Unless, of course, you want to reduce the seriousness of sin, which is what most people will have to do. They have to reduce the seriousness of sin. And they say things like, ah, don't worry, just apologize. You know, just once a week or maybe keep some short accounts of God every day and just say, I'm sorry. You know, I apologize and ask for forgiveness 
because sin is not so serious anymore. You know, you just say you're sorry and really mean it, of course, and repent, maybe. All right. They add things like this or just go through this ceremony, go through this ceremony at the church, of course, that you have to help pay for. You know, people come up with all kinds of new different mechanisms in order to do what? To keep sin alive, to keep sin alive and to keep you from resting in the forgiveness that you already have. Again, in Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now, don't be confused. By the beginning of this verse where it says, in him we have redemption. Because you could suggest, well, if we're not in him, then we don't have redemption. Then we don't have the forgiveness of sins. But it doesn't say that. Just because it says, in him we have redemption, in him we have forgiveness, does not automatically mean that out of him we don't have forgiveness, we don't have redemption. Because we were all out of him when he provided for forgiveness, when he provided for redemption through his blood. Chances are you were not alive back then. Unless you are a couple of thousand years old, well, then you could potentially be alive back then. But nobody was alive back then. No one has been alive long enough to say that they were able to obtain forgiveness after they were alive. You obtained forgiveness before. Before you were alive in this sense, before you were even alive, God resolved the topic of sin by saying, I'm just not going to hold anybody's sins against them anymore. That's the end. If anybody's going to go to hell, they're going to go to hell because they are spiritually dead. You don't have a place among the living if you're not alive. If you're dead, what do we do with dead things? You set them on fire. You just burn them up. That's what you do with dead things. It's similar to the idea of a dead person. You send them to the lake of fire, to the place of the forgotten. That's what you do with these people. That's what he's going to do with these people. So a person who is not saved is definitely forgiven. They are forgiven, but it doesn't help them at all. It does nothing for them at all. So in him, you have forgiveness Out of him you have forgiveness. He's putting it here in order to emphasize the point that this is part of the inheritance that you have received, that this is part of being blessed by God. And sure, you could say that everyone has been blessed by God in the context of forgiveness, but it's not going to have any value to someone who is spiritually dead, who rejects the gospel, who is going to end up being sent to hell is not going to help them. But for us, we have this, and it is going to be of use. It is going to be of value. We will be able to forgive others with the forgiveness that we have received, as an example. We can rest in his acceptance because we know he does not hold our sins against us. We are holy because he has forgiven us. Everything is built on forgiveness. The entire inheritance that we have received is built on the truth, on the completion of forgiveness to the extent where God does not hold our sins against us anymore. 
He did this for the entire world, but again, it's only going to be real and realized for those who enter into the covenant of salvation. Forgiveness is not salvation. Forgiveness is what makes salvation possible. And I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net there can be